Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to better understand and defend your faith by thinking biblically. It's the same way Jesus did it. I am so excited to have a new friend of mine in the studio with me today, Ryan Fast. Ryan has a BS in civil engineering from the Colorado School of Mines, a BS in applied science from George Fox University, an MS in structural engineering from Colorado State, and he spent 10 years making roads and bridges before the Lord called him into full-time ministry, where he spent another 10 years in short-term missions with Teen Mission International, going to 30 different countries. Super cool. I'm going to ask you if you can recite all those in order. (laughs) (laughs) Now he is with Campus Crusade for Christ, or CRU, teaching high school students how to know, grow, and go. Super cool. I love that slogan. You got all three. Good job. (laughs) And uh, also runs the Student Connection Conference here in Portland. So, Ryan, welcome to the show. Hi. Good to be here, Roy. We were talking a little before the show. It's funny. The Lord calls a lot of different kinds of people into apologetics. It ends up kind of being a little bit of a grab bag of people and personalities. But I can almost always sense when somebody has a technical background, science and engineering. Yeah, that nerd alert just goes (laughs) off, doesn't it? (laughs) Not only because of the Star Trek uh, T-shirt, which you're wearing. Of course, naturally. (laughs) Just because of some of the other kind of personality traits and the way people think. I've found the same thing to be true. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know it, Roy. The way I always explain it is, People don't realize this about engineers. They think engineers are like quiet, introverted, don't really know how to communicate, but must be really smart, right? But the reality is engineers have an insatiable curiosity. They want to know. They want to learn things. And then in addition to that, they are creatives. Like people don't understand that the reason engineers love to do what they do is because they are very creative people. They want to make things, Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I remember when I first started homeschooling my kids and I'm like, man, like, what do I draw out of the Bible to try and teach them about life and the world and the Bible and Jesus? And, you know, page one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and God (laughs) made man in his image. And I was like, and that just resonated with me. I'm like, that, I feel that. I'm like, guys, Mm. you know, God like laid all this beautiful, amazing world and universe out. And he could have made all these decisions, but he chose to make it super beautiful and colorful and amazing and all these things. And I was able to connect with that and pass that on to them. And I'm like, anytime you're, you know, really engaging in that creative part of your mind, isn't that cool? That that's an image of God. That's a reflection of God that we get to participate in. Absolutely, yeah. It truly is beautiful. I love that. So you got to spend 10 years building roads and bridges. What was the one in Seattle that kind of like... The Tacoma Narrows, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that wasn't you. (laughs) For any of my fellow engineers, simple harmonic motion is a real thing. (laughs) And it destroys bridges. 
<laughs> yeah, we've all seen that video, I yes. feel like, in high school physics class somewhere. So hopefully somewhere. that was before your time. <laughs> when you were in that kind of hardcore showing up every day, you know, pulling out a, not a slide rule, but probably a calculator. <laughs> yeah, and... we had HPGXs <laughs> yeah. when I went to college, man. That was, that was the calculator of choice. Yes. Exactly. <sighs> what did your faith look like? How did you bring your faith, the way that you think, your experience and your life with Jesus into that kind of day-to-day, you know, interaction with other, you know, nerdy technical people. Yeah. You may not know this about me, but I'm a recovering homeschooler too. So <laughs> I, uh, I was homeschooled from, let me see, fourth grade on. Uh, oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Cool. And the reality is one of the unique things about that was just my parents, their mission statement for our family was to raise a godly family in an ungodly world. That was, wow. that was the way they looked at it. Well, and this was cool. with the dad who actually worked by vocation in the public school sector. Wow. So there's a whole story <laughs> behind all that. I just grew up reading God's Word. Mm. I just did. And I had this cool. huge hunger and thirst for the Word of God. Wow. And for me, I just remember hitting a total boiling point when I was about 15 years old because I'm reading Scripture, and it is saying very clearly to go. And wow. yet I felt like I was in this bubble because I went right. to church. I right. was homeschooled. I hung out with Christians kind of everywhere I went, and there was not this perception of very many people that I could talk with who didn't already know Jesus. Right. Right. You know, When I was 15 years old, that kind of hit critical mass for me, and I went on my first mission trip. Wow. And my parents really supported cool. that. My dad literally told me, he's like, yeah, missions is a part of our curriculum, so you're telling me you want to go on this mission trip. Let's go. Nice. And so when I went on my first mission trip, that absolutely actuated my faith. I had cool. faith coming sure. into that. I absolutely sure. believed in God and was following yeah. him. But it was suddenly it became real. It had steps wow. behind it. It cool. had momentum like I'd never experienced before. Nice. And I came back from that mission trip back here to the Pacific Northwest. Um, I grew up in Vancouver, Washington, just okay. right across the yeah. river. And I really just kind of, I couldn't sit still anymore. Wow. And so cool. throughout cool. my entire journey, as I walked with the Lord and knew he was calling me to missions, and yet God dropped me in for the first 10 years of my life as a engineer, I never sure. got rid of that idea of, no, but I'm a missionary first. Right. So I remember multiple different people that I got to spend time with who were co-workers, but they became more than co-workers. Sure, sure. And I worked in the construction industry specifically. So roads and bridges don't come to you. You go to them. <laughs> <laughs> and so I basically spent, my wife and I moved 21 times in our first 10 years of marriage. We were wow. on the road building roads and bridges, and I was wow. administering these high-end construction projects. Right. So interacting with lots of people, interacting with lots of different churches. But I had this kind of group of people that I began to get to know, inspectors who worked for me. Sure. I worked a lot in the national parks and national forests. Again, we could talk about the fact that I built a road in the Grand Canyon and Yosemite, <laughs> all sorts of other fun stuff. Why not a bridge uh, across the Grand Canyon? <laughs> that would have been really hard. So, <laughs> but... I just administered the contracts, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. but I had this group of inspectors and different people I began to get to know because I worked with them on multiple jobs sure. in different places. Sure. And, you know, I just, I always tried to speak life, you know, right. and, but I built relationships with them. And yeah, there were some of those relationships. I remember one particular guy, he worked basically for the national park I was at as just one of their resource management people. Sure. His big thing was noxious weeds, man. He needed to get every noxious weed out of Yosemite Valley. Okay. And man, the, the man was passionate, <laughs> passionate about getting, and I got to know, his name was Marty. 
And as we spent time together, you know, he found out that I was a Christian. I found out that he was not. Right. And, you know, and so we often, we exchange ideas, we talk. And I remember several different times where in conversations with Marty, I just, it was kind of like, hey, you know, w- what have you ever thought of when it comes to these things we're talking about? And at the end of the day, Marty never chose to, to become a Jesus follower, at least right. not when I was there. Yeah. He heard, right. he at least. Right. He was aware of that. And I hope he experienced the love of Christ genuinely from me. It never changed our relationship. Even though Marty may not have chosen to follow Jesus, right. he, Marty was still my friend. You know, I enjoyed getting to know him. You know, on the other end of things, I had this inspector who worked for me. His name was Kyle. And Kyle's still a good friend. And Kyle had a pseudo-religious background, but not much. And as he got to know me, he would just continue to be just impressed with like, man, your faith is so sincere. And Kyle just started coming to church with me. You know, Kyle started exploring his faith more and more. And uh, Kyle definitely, I would say, is a believer. He's not a perfect guy. He's got his flaws and mistakes. But I got to walk alongside of him for a season. And he and I are still good friends. We still give each other a phone call, even though I haven't worked in the industry in 10 years, you know, right. if I'm if I'm going through the Central Valley of California where Kyle lives, I'll stop in and say hi. And That's cool. You know, those are things. You, you live it out, you yes. know, day by day, person by person, and that's how I always tried to do it when I was working in that industry because, honestly, that's about as much opportunity as sure. I had oh, yeah. outside yeah, of yeah. engaging with my local church. Yeah, I remember there was a time I worked for Intel for almost 20 years. Yeah, I was talking with my pastor and being like, man, I have got so much Jesus to share, Mm. you know, and I'm like, I go to work and I, you know, work on semiconductors and inventions, you know, should I look at going into the ministry and going to seminary and being a pastor? And, and he's like, well, hold on a second, Roy. And we were actually outside, you know, Intel's largest plant. And he turned around and he's like, just something to consider. He's like, I can't get into that building. Mm -hmm. And at that building, I think there's about 10 to 15,000 employees, you know, and he's like, I can't get into that building. And I'm like, what do you mean? He reached down and grabbed my badge. He's like, I don't have one of these. Mm-hmm. He's like, no matter, even if I was the best theologian, pastor, Bible teacher on the planet, I could never get into that building. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you do. Every single day you can walk into that building and share Christ. And it really kind of shaped my idea about, you know, living on mission. Yeah. Wherever you are, you're a Jesus follower. You're also a preacher of the gospel mm-hmm. and the good news. Yeah. And so now I've tried to kind of, you know, talk to architects or accountants or grocery store baggers. or It's like, dude, anywhere you go, that's your mission field. I mean, so. isn't that the crux of it is understanding that the mission of God is lived out by all of us who Absolutely. believe in him no matter where we're at. Absolutely. You know, and irregardless of whether you see one person, you know, come to Christ or thousands of people come to Christ over the course of your life, still we're living out the mission. So you not only got to live out the mission, building bridges and moving around and building roads and all that stuff, you also got to do it full time in Teen Mission International, 30 different countries. Yeah. Was it sort of like, hey, I've kind of already been doing this a lot in my normal life, and now I get to do it 30 different countries around the world? Or was there something that you're like, wow, getting to be here full-time you know, allowed a different level of engagement, or was there a transition? Uh, Or Yeah, I mean, yes, yes, yes to all of those (laughs) questions there. You know, I mean, my own journey started clear back in third grade when I realized the Lord was actually putting on my heart to be a missionary. 
fast forward to graduating from high school and I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm graduating from high school. Let's go. And, and he kind of, he played this waiting game with me. He told me to wait. And, <laughs> uh, you know, Psalm 40 talks about the value of yeah. waiting on the Lord. Amen. I was like, well, I'm going to be a good missionary. So let's go to college, right? This sure. is what I'm supposed yeah. to go and do. Yeah. So I'll go to Bible college. And God was like, no, I want you to become an engineer. So I walked away from Bible college, went to engineer all this time, like question marks going off in my brain, but saying, Yet, Lord, this seems to be what you're telling me to do, so right. I'm going to go do this. Right. And I met married my wife, which I'm super glad That's for. <laughs> got, a, got a co-laborer, right? But she and I, I mean, you want to talk about awkward first dates. Literally every single date that I went out on, one of the first questions I would ask while I was in college was, um, so I'm curious, you called to be a missionary? Because I am, because if you aren't, this is not going to go too far, <laughs> you know? My wife was one of those who likewise, from very early age, was called cool. to be a missionary. So we graduated, we got married. Here am I, send, send us now, Lord. Yeah, yeah. And he just said, no, I want you to, you're getting married. I want you to focus on that for a little bit. So the fast forward to my 30s now, in the middle of a downturned economy and everything like that, and uh, and I've been working for 10 years. I was making six figures. I had a government job, so I, you know, I was going to lose it. I was yeah. set, yep. absolutely. Yep. And uh, the Lord kind of said, hey, guess what? And I was like, oh. And he was like, <laughs> it's time to dump out your duffel bag again. And I'm like, wow. oh, my. So dumping out the duffel bag was basically my second missionary trip. When I was 17 years old, I found myself in the jungles of Papua New Guinea building a hospital, the only one in a 100-mile radius. Wow. Completely tribal. Think Wycliffe translators have translated yep. the Bible, like everything yep. like that. While I was there, I had this completely singular experience. Being just exposed to abject poverty for the first time oh, yeah. in my yeah. life. Seeing this little kid every day who just, you know, he had all the classic science of malnutrition, right? You yeah. know, the orange tinted hair, the bloated yeah. tummy, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. And just be like having my world rocked by that. But seeing the smile on this kid's face, seeing him run around with a shirt, a dirty, holy shirt, like every single day. And that was the only thing he had. Yet he was strangely, eerily content and happy. Wow. Wow. And, you know, and when you're exposed to that, you know, pity doesn't do anybody any good. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, we went to our missionary at the end of the summer. We were in country for seven weeks. So you, wow. you can't ignore this stuff. Right? Sure. Wow. And we're like, what, what can we do? And she's like, well, to be totally honest with you, if you want to make donations, you can. But we're going to make sure they get to the people that need it. So give them to us, you know, sure. we'll distribute them in yeah. a good way. I got home from that summer and I walked into my room, opened up my closet, chest of drawers there. What do you think I saw, Roy? A bunch of clothes, right? Yeah. But I had dumped out my duffel bag. Yeah. But I hadn't really dumped out yeah. my duffel bag. Right. Right? Yeah. right. And I stood there in my room almost weeping. And uh, wow. this is the closest I've ever had, I think, to just hearing God speak to me audibly. I was like, God, why do I have so much and other people have so little? And wow. it was like Jesus just kind of said to me right there in my room, he's like, Ryan, you don't really have anything. All of this is mine, isn't it? When you right. came to believe in me, you gave everything to me. So, Ryan, just be a conduit for my love. Hold right. on to things really loosely. And my response to him was, oh, this isn't going to be the last time I'm going to dump out my duffel bag, is it? Wow. And he was like, absolutely not. Wow. So fast forward wow. now, like wow. 15 years wow. later, and God's like, hey, walk away from six-figure salary. Do all of this stuff. Go live in your brother-in-law's basement while you're raising support. Yes, I have two kids. Yes, I'm married. All of that good stuff. Wow. And that's exactly what we did. Wow. Because it wasn't hard to do because what God had done in my life when sure. I was, you know, 17 years old had prepared me for that very moment when I was 33. Wow. And so the transition cool. in some respects was like very seamless. It was like it was as natural as could be. On the other hand, was it difficult? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. 
you know? Wow. So that was the path I had to walk. I've shared a little bit on this radio show and podcast before about my testimony, and we don't have time to get into it here, but I have seen God so faithful in my life. Mm. And so I'm like, man, I don't need any other information, data, proof other than just what God's done for me. It's overwhelming. Yeah. But then I get the privilege and the honor of being like, wow, and he's been the same awesome God in your life and in your wife's Absolutely. life and in my wife's life and in all these people. And I love hearing testimonies and stories of God's faithfulness mm-hmm. to different people in different situations in their own unique perspectives. Amazing. And isn't that one of the really unique things like... I find this when I'm carrying on conversations with people, especially here, where I'm just talking with someone who doesn't know Jesus, yeah. but I'm just having a spiritual conversation with them and seeking to see if they're receptive and sure. open to learning yeah. about Jesus. And one of the things I'm always teaching students to do, and I challenge myself to do this, is to listen well. Yes. Right? <laughs> listen well. Because there's normally three things that you can find if you listen well. One, you can almost always identify brokenness. Yep. You can find the impacts of a yep. sinful world. Yep. Yep. Two, you can almost always find points of commonality. Sure. Like things where I'm like, oh, I know what you're talking about because I've experienced that too. Yeah. But the third thing that I feel like a lot of people miss is do you see Jesus in their story? Absolutely. Oh, because Jesus it. is love already it. in yep. their story. Yep. He's already doing stuff. They just may not realize it yet. Yes. And if you can help them, you know, see, it's like, oh, do you realize that that might be a a higher power jumping in there? Yep. Do you realize that that might be not just a coincidence? Yep. I think a lot of believers are okay with God loving us, but they have a huge problem with God loving sinners. (laughs) Yes. And I just fundamentally (laughs) reject that theology. Yes, absolutely. I just do. God's grace is extended to everyone. Absolutely. I love how you put that. Jesus is already in their story, mm-hmm. and what I've found is if you come at them with love and compassion mm-hmm. and a common grace and all these things, and you get them to feel safe, they usually already know that. There's somewhere in there where they're like, yeah, you know what? I do think that's somehow God. Absolutely. And, I, and I don't know all the details and all the clarity and all this kind of stuff, but almost always if you can come in and touch that point people are a lot more receptive than you trying to like knock them over the oh, head oh yeah with. see Angel, you're not going <laughs> to argue anyone to christ no. right yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> we've talked a lot about evangelism and salvation uh-huh. it's interesting i found the same thing with kind of apologetics most people have no idea and it means a lot of different things to a lot of people for the most part, people get a little bit more of the reasons behind your faith, a little more of the intellectual understanding of your faith and things like that. I found that even there, there's evidence of God revealing himself to people, people having certain parts of a biblical worldview. It may not be complete. It may not even be consistent, but there's pockets. A very, very common one is someone just saying, I know there's a God out there. Out there. I, I don't know exactly what he does and yeah. how he does it or whatever, but I mean, look around. Look at this beautiful world we live in. Like you said, there's some kind of a higher power mm-hmm. out there. That's the beginning of a biblical worldview. People are starting to put together the pieces. It exists in all of us. Exactly. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And I've found that if you can go find those places that God has already tilled the soil, and planted the seeds and start where they are, Mm -hmm. 
I've seen a lot more fruit and effectiveness than just having a cookie cutter being like, okay, well, here's the process of becoming a Christian. Let me just try and hit you over the head with everything at mm -hmm. once. And it's like, man, it's such a bad approach. And if I can just come alongside and look around and say, wow, look at all these seeds that God himself has planted. Let's see if we can water some of these. Mm-hmm. You know, it yeah. seems to be a, such a better approach. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it takes the pressure off of you. I, I think one of the classic mistakes that a lot of us who are believers in Jesus make when it comes to evangelism is seeing evangelism as kind of a check mark. Like, we, I have to do it because yes. that's part of the job description. And so, okay, now I've done it and I move on. And it's like, no, 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 no. Evangelism involves relationships. <laughs> evangelism involves listening. Yes. I love to look at Philip and his interaction with the Ethiopian eunuch yeah, right yeah, yeah. you know when he shows up i mean put aside how he even got there how the holy spirit got there, everything like that and that's, all the engineering yeah, insatiably <laughs> curious questions like, <laughs> this is awesome it's a great story the thing the holy spirit does is when he gets in proximity of someone who needs to know jesus he responds he runs towards the opportunity yeah. it's not yeah. something he had to do it's something he wanted right. to do he was inclined right. to do it. he desired to do it and then when he got there he didn't just lean in with the four spiritual laws and bang somebody over the head with him <laughs> You know, uh, no, he actually paused and it says that he listened and he heard wow. that he was reading scripture. So he observed wow. the thing around him. Wow. And then as he wow. listened, then did he hit him with the four spiritual laws? No, no. <laughs> then he asked a question. That's right. He asked a really good question. Yep. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless somebody right. explains it to me? Right. So what does he do there? Only after he's received an invitation right. does he do this. So, I mean, the thing is, he's into making disciples. Philip at his court, he's sure. into making disciples. He's not into making believers. He's not into right. making converts. Right. That's, That's spiritual addition. We don't need to just add more people to the kingdom. Wow. What we need is disciples that are made. We need people who will at least make an attempt to build a relationship with someone. Because, I mean, if you're just adding people to the kingdom, come back a year later, are they really a disciple? Are they following right. Jesus? Right. But if we look at evangelism as a part of discipleship as a whole and not Amen. just a means to an end, Amen. then we engage in gospel multiplication. Oh, and that's what we want. That's we want to see disciples made, not Amen. just big events where we just see another hundred people come to Christ, Amen. another hundred people come to Christ, right? right? That's what's fueled my own path in missions has been just this awareness or beginning to become more and more aware of, like, how can I disciple that kid? Amen. How can I come alongside of the church? And this kid is being discipled by a youth pastor. He's being discipled by his parents. He's being discipled by me having four or five different adults who are pouring into his life Amen. Amen. so that he can then pour into three or four other kids' lives. We all know the classic pyramid scheme. Like, <laughs> 10 years from now, we can see the whole world come to Christ. Amen. You know, but if we just see 100 people coming to Christ every single day through some mass market approach, yeah. what do you get? Half a million in 10 yeah. years? Yeah. That's nothing. That's yeah. not even the yeah. populace of Portland yet. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was beautiful. That's why Jesus said to go and make disciples. Exactly. I I mean, if you wanted to say go and make converts, I think he would have said that. But that's Amen. really not what he said. Amen. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Ryan, this has been a blast. It's been great to get to know you better over the last several months, and I look forward to a lifetime of partnership and ministry and just serving Jesus together. So thanks for being yeah, here. Yeah, back at you, Roy. Thanks for all you guys do. Now, how about you? Has God made promises in your life around 
your calling or some kind of evangelistic or missions vision that you've just never quite been able to shake, are you waiting for that fulfillment of those promises to happen in your life? What a cool testimony from Ryan where God showed him things and put things on his heart and then it was years over a decade later that he could look back and see how God had been putting all of those pieces in place to then launch him and his wife and his family in the direction of his calling. And so what a cool testimony that he was able to share today. Well, the Ambassadors Forum is here to help. You can visit our website at theambassadorsforum.com. And we just want to invite you to please come join our community here in Portland as we search for truth, as we try and engage the culture, as we try to be the light of Christ in a community that we know was created to know him. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you.